Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Welcome to episode 34 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. Uh, first of all, thank you very, very much for pressing play and taking the time to listen to my show. It is, as always, hugely appreciated. And on today's show, we're continuing our look back at WWF pay-per-views month by month from the year 2000 with uh, David Eaton of numerous wrestling companies from around the UK. It's always great fun looking back on these old shows and talking to David about them, being that this was the year he first got into wrestling. So some of these shows he has not seen since he first got into them. Some of them he's seen numerous times and adores them. Um, yeah, and it's just been, so far, it's been a really, really good look back. And I'm very much looking forward to continuing that with David. On that note, upcoming on the SJP Wrestling Podcast is something quite similar. Previous guests returning to look back on pay-per-views or even individual matches that mean a great deal to them. We're having people from Evolution Wrestling who have been on the show previously talking about their training process and how they got into the business coming back on the show to look back and review an old pay-per-view with me, whether it's a pay-per-view they've never seen before, which is something I always enjoy doing with people, or it's a pay-per-view that is one of their favourites, something that really means a great deal to them. Uh, either way, I enjoy these these kind of shows and these kind of look-backs and sort of retro reviews, I guess. So keep an eye out for that, and please, as always, let us know what you think. Are you enjoying these retro look-backs with the likes of David Eaton and the future guests that will be returning? Um, do you like more of the interview style of show that we do sometimes? Please reach out on the, so- the show's social medias and let me know what you like and what you dislike. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at SJP Wrestling Pod, um, and I am at SJP Words. Okay, um, that's enough from me today. Let's have a little look back at Backlash 2000 from the WWF with Mr. David Eaton. Okay, fa- as always, thank you for listening. Hello, brother. This is NWA WCW Enhancement Talent, Randy Hogan, baby. Being in the ring with the Road Warriors, Vader, Abdul the Butcher, Midnight Express and all them guys. Let me tell you, it was dang rough. But not as rough as listening to Cyan Mags on that chain wrestling show, brother. What you gonna do when this pair of fools, Cyan Mags and chain wrestling, brother, runs wild on you? Mr. David Eaton, over the moon to have you back with us again, my friend. How are you doing? My pleasure. I'm doing very well. How are you? Yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Cheers. Pretty good. Happier after watching this pay-per-view than our last effort. Yeah, um, me too. 
I think is probably the right thing to say. Like the other one wasn't the best, was it? No, no, it was a bit of a hard slog. Um, for those listening who may not be aware, David and I are going through WWF pay-per-views um, from the year 2000. Month by month, in the, in the order they occurred, it's the year David got into wrestling initially as a fan, so it's quite interesting going back and revisiting these shows together. Um, our last pay-per-view we watched was WrestleMania 2000 or WrestleMania 16. And it wasn't the greatest show so far. Um, but thankfully, this month or, or this episode we're recording today, Backlash 2000, um, yeah, it, it was a big improvement, I think. Business is picking up, as JR would like to say. <laughs> Indeed it is. Indeed it is. And business is definitely picking up. Um, the numbers for this pay-per-view are incredible they took over half a million dollars on the gate wow and another hundred and seventy thousand dollars um in merch they had a 1.6 buy rate which works out to around 670 odd thousand buys i'm reliably informed by people who know more about that than me um yeah, I mean, it, great numbers. I mean, they're all they're all heading in the right direction still for the WWF, and I suppose on the the other channel, the, the WCW, it's very much the uh, the lines are going down instead, aren't they, at this time? I guess so. I wouldn't really know. I had no, I didn't really follow it because I started watching like when this was happening, and WCW wasn't really a a big thing anymore. Mm. Um, particular like particularly in my world, I wasn't even aware of it because I lived in the UK, um, and I was borrowing tapes of of wwf pay-per-views and that was my exposure to wrestling um none of my friends even knew what wcw was i'm pretty sure when i was a kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah it kind of for me it kind of came into into my wrestling world and then disappeared and came back again okay. before it was all um uh, before it was a big deal i guess both nitro and the monday night wars and all this the actual era and everything the nwo and all that we had um wcw worldwide which was like their version of velocity or heat at the time on a saturday afternoon when i was i don't know we're looking at early 90s 91 92 93 so i'd have been 10 11 12 13 uh, and then it kind of disappeared for a bit and then came back when they were going into the attitude era so it kind of disappeared for a while and came back for me but yeah wwf when i was growing up was much easily accessible than than the wcw programming and pay-per-views so i can see where you're coming from yeah, it was it was all about sort of Sunday night heat on Channel Four for me, like that that was my primary exposure to wrestling in my teenage years. Like I was, we just had terrestrial TV at home. I'd like lay in bed when I should have been sleeping watching that instead. <laughs> I think I used to do that sometimes with the boxing on a Saturday when I was very little, <laughs> and I used to turn the, hear my dad coming up the stairs. I turn the, the TV was like at the foot of the bed, yeah. so I'd lie the other way round in bed. And when I heard any noise, because the TV had gone virtually silent. I heard any noise, I'd turn it off and lie down and pretend to be asleep. And my, my dad always knew I'd had the telly on, no matter how quiet or quick I reacted. And it took me ages to figure out why. And I must have been in my 20s before I realised the bugger was putting his hand on the telly, wasn't he? And it was warm. <laughs> and the penny just dropped. And I was like, why? <laughs> uh, parents are smart. That's the thing. You yeah. never know. You never realise how smart your parents were until sort of 10, 20 years later when you're like, oh okay. okay exactly and and these were like the tvs with the big old ass on the back so they were yeah. they got warm quick you know so yeah. all i wanted to do was watch the eubank fight that's you know 
<laughs> the days before extortionate prices to watch a boxing match, my friend. Yeah. All on OTV back then. But there we go. Um, okay. So, yeah, as we mentioned, Backlash 2000 um, originally broadcast on pay-per-view on April the 30th, 2000 from the MCI Center in Washington, D.C. The attendance that day is a little bit, um, I suppose, a little bit of a grey area. The WWF report 19,101. Various other outlets um, report a figure closer to 17,500 with 16,500 paying. So, I mean, that's a little bit of a grey area there. But the WWF always have inflated their attendance figures. Uh, they quite often count their own staff in the attendance as being people in the building and so on. But we get a rough idea that it's a sellout and it's a big old number for that arena. Um, I do like the idea that there's like 3000 people effectively unaccounted for between those two numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's the old scenario, isn't it? Of like uh, trying to take a picture of like a whole row of people. And if somebody disappears off the one end, when you're looking at the other end, you never quite know it's (laughs) happened. And so on. that's what's happening. Whole rows just nipping off to the toilet at the same time. Whilst they're trying to do a head count. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. it's, It's quite funny, but I mean, the, the figure that seems most consistent is that 16,500 paid for that over half a million dollar gate, which is just incredible numbers, really. Um, the pay-per-view showing of the the event, I thought in comparison to the last couple we've watched, David, the, the video package at the beginning seemed quite low-key this time. Yeah, it wasn't huge on drama, was it? No, no. And I've, I always say that there's nobody in wrestling, past or present, WCW, as we mentioned before, TNA or whoever, AW now, that does the sort of the production and video packages better than the WWE. They are absolutely superb. This one just seemed really sort of low-key and and not as dramatic as the ones that would follow it or even the ones that were before it, I guess. Maybe that's a reflection of sort of how um, wishy-washy the story was in in the run up to these um, the the recent sort of pay per views I've been watching because so, the obviously the the WrestleMania stuff we talked about it at the time like it ended up being a four way but it it could have been like just a, a standard match like it felt like people were being tacked onto it or whatever mm-hmm. um, Jericho was on the like the poster looking like he was going to be in the main event of that Wrestlemania and then ended just up in just another match um, It maybe plans were changing and that's the reason why they, they didn't really have a thread that they could really pull some drama out of to create something good yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense actually um, you mentioned Jericho he's on the poster for for this event as well but again he's not in the main event and potentially the main event of this show is kind of what people maybe wanted for wrestlemania the month before because we get the rock versus triple h one-on-one at last don't we yeah that is exciting because i remember those matches being great and i was looking forward to this one delivering yeah yeah, definitely. And it's, it's a very good match, which we'll come to shortly, no doubt. Um, well, I say no doubt, we're going to have to. It's part of the show. <laughs> um, the, the entrance way here, again, we spoke about it before, haven't we? The unique entrances for different pay-per-views that they don't do anymore. This yeah. backlash one is one that all, this and, and the castle at Armageddon always kind of stands out in my head. The big swinging sort of hooks, I guess. It's just fantastic, isn't it? It's incredible. I love this one more than like 
yeah, like you say, it's really one of those ones that sort of stands out from the past. And the fact that I can very much remember it, I'm like, it's that stage yeah. again. Um, I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, it's it's what pay-per-views are missing these days. It's like, they, none of them have a unique identity anymore because of the, the homogenized stages and stuff. And it's just really good to be going back and watching these things. And, and like, it's weird how excited I get about just production and stages and stuff like that. Ah, see, I, I disagree. I don't think it is weird at all because I'm exactly the same. <laughs> but, I mean, don't get me wrong. My wife says I'm odd and weird, so maybe we are both weird. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but I get, I'm exactly the same. I really enjoy all the the individual stage sets, and this backlash one, like you said, really does stand out in the memory. Um, especially when I think about, I was never a big gamer or anything like that, but I can remember my little brother having wwf computer games now he's not a big wrestling fan but his mates used to play them and it was a game he would play with his friends and i can remember seeing the entrance for backlash on the old i don't know whether it was the n64 or the playstation yeah. one or i don't know i'm not clued up enough but seeing the entrance for backlash on the show oh sorry on the on the game and just thinking oh why that's actually what happened on the pay-per-view it's yeah. really symbolic and iconic isn't it i think it's so cool i think it was probably no mercy by that point wasn't it that um it was rendered into but yeah i remember playing those games when i was a kid as well and being like the actual stages like you can you can change arenas in the new wwe games but like they don't change anywhere near as much um i, I guess then they have like the retro ones they do but like it's being able to have sort of these actual big different unique like momentous looking constructions that are just like this one's just giant swinging hooks right it's preposterous why would you just have giant swinging hooks as a stage but it works and they tied it into like the the video graphics like the motion graphics that they use for the um match cards and the entrances and stuff and it just ties it all together and makes it feel like a big deal um and like you say we we talk about this almost every time but it's because it's so so sorely missed now yeah definitely definitely um we have jerry lawler and jim ross on commentary again the sort of classic attitude era team i suppose um but the first person to be introduced was deborah well i suppose deborah mcmichael would be her name i suppose or the surname Hmm. um as a guest ring announcer for the first match, obviously we get Jim Ross, sorry, not Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler reacting in a stereotypical way because an attractive lady's walking towards the ring. Um, but she's there to do a ring announcer job, which I, I'll be honest, I don't think she was particularly cut out for, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, help me out here. Why was she there? Was she involved in any way in this match, um, in the no. run-up to it? Is no. She- even tangentially related to what's going on or was she just she just thrown out there to be like hey go say hi i think at this stage she was seeing steve austin okay um they were i think they were married at one stage as well yeah so that may be why she's there maybe it's just a case of get her out i mean she, she was very popular in wcw for a while um, so did people she, know that at the time because like if, if people knew that knew that at the time that she and Stone Cold were dating. Is that like a, a wink, wink, Stone Cold's definitely going to be here? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, the, they used to just... 
you look back through her career, I suppose, with WWF especially, she had some quite odd allegiances. I mean, the whole thing with Jarrett seems to be a bit strange in the late 90s. Um, so I, I think maybe it was a case of they wanted to get her on television, but were just trying to find a role. Sort of like, I suppose sort of like Sunny at the end of her run when she was becoming a little bit of a a sort of drugged up liability, I guess <laughs> they would, they were just trying to find a way of getting her on television. And she did something right. similar, sort of a ring announcer here, guest ref there. And there was no real reason for it. It was just to sort of get the pop from the crowd. And, and I suppose Jerry Lawler shouting puppies and whatnot, maybe I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not really sure, but fair enough. I was curious. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's, yeah, it's a, uh, it is an odd one because the match that she's announcing is Edge and Christian versus uh, the DX team of X-Pac and the Road Dog for the WWF tag team titles. I quite yeah. enjoyed this. I thought this yeah. was a good, a good opener. It did the, it did what it needs to do. It was uh, got the crowd going. There's some good action there. And Edge and Christian, we seem to say it every time they're on, that they're, they're bloody great, aren't they? Oh, they are, aren't they? I think that I, I pretty much echo what you said. Although I do think they went a little longer than they should have yeah i think this is maybe an issue with early 2000 wwf you know because we seem to be saying that a little bit wrestlemania we said that about quite a few matches as well it seemed to go a little longer than was needed Mm. and i only mean a little longer in this case but the reason i say that is because just towards the end um i'm gonna get this the wrong way around but i think edge snatches a a roll-up okay um off the ropes he runs him into the ropes doesn't a kind of roll the crowd are there for it right and then yeah. they kick out of it and they go straight into the other finish. Um, like X Pac kind of like bungles into an X Factor and they do a kick out, but then he gets hit in the head with the bell. And that looked horrible. Yeah. And it looked like, like I've seen no reason for him to cut himself there. So <clears throat> it looked, probably was horrible. Um, and then they just go to a finish that was slightly less of a crowd reaction than I think they'd have got if they just did it off the pin. And like everything that happened after that, I think just felt a bit superfluous yeah sort of adding extras that weren't needed maybe um the 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 shot with the bell um yeah that was like the actual you know the middle the bolt the the thing that holds the whole bell together yeah he hit him with the actual bell bit didn't he yeah yeah and apparently that bolt according to x-pac himself on his his podcast that is what cut him. It, he yeah. got hit with the actual like the the nut, I suppose, or the bolt coming through, or if you can if you can sort of picture it. Yeah, um, that's that what clogged like, him. Yeah, it looked like that was what happened. Like I was watching it, I was like, "Why? He, that's he's not cut himself for that. There's no reason for him to cut himself and be bleeding after the match. That mm. that looked horrible. It sounded horrible when it hit him, and like he just crumpled and then come up bleeding. And I was like, mm, "That went wrong." Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, obviously, but there's some. There's always been something slightly unlikable about Sean Waltman. <laughs> just, just the way you, you hear stories about him backstage, like you know, crapping in people's bags and food oh, and, and stuff. He just around this time just came across as. I don't know. I, I, he came across him as the person who would sort of pick fights and then hide behind his big mates. That sort of, you know, <laughs> I, I don't mean as an on-screen character. I mean more right. from what you hear backstage. But oh, okay. I mean, thankfully now he's he's sober and uh, looking after himself a lot better and is is behaving in a much more I suppose adult way I suppose <laughs> but uh, yeah it's something about him that sort of comes across on screen to me anyway as just being a little bit unlikable maybe it's just I know some of his actions backstage but oh, yeah there wow. we go 
Okay, won't feel too sorry for him then, I guess. No, no. <laughs> um, after this opener, which, which again, I, I really enjoyed, um, The Rock arrives to a massive pop from the crowd, doesn't he? he turns up in a, in a car out the back. Yeah, um, as soon as they see the shoes. quality. As soon as they see the shoes. Yep. Yeah. It's great. It's great. I love those little things. They make people seem like superstars, right? It's like, here's a guy getting out of a limo instantly. That guy's important. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I, I, I didn't imagine it was The Rock either. When the limo pulled up, my first thought straight away was it was it was Vince McMahon. Yeah. Because of the limo, you know, but seeing The Rock, yeah, again, it's just, the guy's just an absolute star. He just always has been, just yeah. looks incredible. Just everything about, even the way he just walks, you just look at the guy and think, what an absolute star yeah. this guy is, you know? And this is like peak classic rock as well, because he steps out, he's got his shirt open, he's just sauntering in. Yeah. Everyone's going mad for it. It's amazing. Yeah, definitely. Um, we then have another title match to follow the one we've just seen. It's the, well, I suppose, lesser seen, not long for this world, WWF Light Heavyweight Championship. <laughs> um, and the champion, Dean Malenko, is defending against Scotty Duhotti, who's been kind of thrust into singles action for a short period whilst his tag partner, Brian Christopher, what was his what was his working Grandmaster name? Grandmaster Sexy. Yes, Grandmaster Sexy. Brian Christopher. Was uh, out injured. Um, this, for me, was match of the night. Oh, this is really good. And I think slightly underappreciated by the crowd until the very end when, yeah. like, <laughs> when, when the finish happens. But yeah, this was really, really, really solid wrestling, right? And I've said before, like when we've talked about um, Too Cool, that Scotty Too Hotty and Grandmaster Sex, like, they're actually really good wrestlers when they get a chance to show it. Um, and people just assume that because they've got like a comedy dancing gimmick or whatever, or a, a fun dancing gimmick. So it wasn't even like it was sometimes comedy, but it wasn't even really a comedy gimmick. It was just guys dancing right mm. um but when they got in there they could really go um and this is an opportunity for scotty to show it against one of the best technical wrestlers that wws probably ever had um and d malenko is doing like he's working the leg in ways that like i've probably never seen since um there's like a bit where he's just like does a really low drop kick to his leg. That's crazy. Like there's a crazy um, spinning knee bar in there somewhere that was really nice. Like there's just lots of like little bits and pieces that you don't see like from pretty much anybody um, either in that time or since really. Um, And then like they get their way to the finish. They do the superplex and then they go for the superplex the other way around. But oh no, he turns it into the worst DDT I've ever seen in my life. Um, and that's the finish. Of course, it's the finish because he landed literally on his head. Yeah, he, he was literally dead. So he's not going to kick out from that. <laughs> but again, I, I, I'm going to echo everything you say there. I mean, Dean Malenko is absolutely superb. I, I, I really enjoy watching loads of his, his stuff back from WCW when he was the Cruiserweight champion there and working with the likes of Rey Mysterio and so yeah. on. That, that's brilliant stuff. And, and the fact that everything he does makes sense. His finish <laughs> is the cloverleaf. So he's working over the legs. So it's so simple, but it makes perfect sense. And I don't think you see a great deal of that now with, with mod. I mean, I don't want to pick on them because I really enjoy watching it every week, but AEW, for example, you, you wouldn't see, I suppose, psychology like that. Uh, I, t- it takes certain people wanting to do certain things to, to do it still today. 
Um, but equally back then you didn't see it an awful lot either. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a sign of the times thing. I think it's just a Dean Malenko had the role of, okay, you're the, the light heavyweight technical wrestler to light heavyweight technical wrestler things. Um, Whereas everybody, if you take AEW as an example, everybody pretty much is a light heavyweight, right? Um, So, like, people do in wrestling the things that they are interested in, the things that they want to do. And now more than ever, like, the scope of what you're allowed to do um, is, is... kind of wider and broader than than ever before which is a really good thing um but it like i don't even really know the point i'm trying to make other than like dean was fairly unique at the time and i don't think sort of it's necessarily a sign of the times thing that you don't see um the kind of stuff that he was doing in this match much anymore i think it's um just a sign of how good dean was yeah okay makes sense there's a couple of nice moments in this as well um that, that i got a kick out of i mean first of all seeing that belt because it wasn't around for very long um I, I really like it because it doesn't the wwf title belts at this time they are kind of like a slightly modern spin on old classics the, the, yeah. WWF, the wwf title itself is they call it the big eagle, I suppose, the belt collectors and so on. It's the old winged eagle that Hogan and Brett and Sean used to hold. Just updated. The the IC title looks very similar to the old block style IC title, but it's sort of curved off and made yeah. a bit more modern looking. The tag titles are predominantly the same. They just look like they've had a slightly different shape added to the outside, potentially. <laughs> Whereas this belt... This to me is like a throwback to the old territory days with how it's designed and the shape of it and so on. I, I really like the look of it. I thought this was a really nice looking title belt. And then the, the second one, we come back to the dancing, I guess. Just little things like Scotty gets in the ring and starts dancing next to Lillian Garcia and she joins in a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but I got a big kick out of that. I really enjoyed seeing <laughs> that. I, I kind of like... I like I suppose characters potentially or, or people who are involved in the wrestling, whether it's the referee or the ring announcer or commentators every now and again, doing something that's not quite what you'd expect. So seeing Lillian dancing there with Scotty, just having a bit of fun. I, I like that. That's nice. That made me smile. Yeah. People having fun without it having to be on brand or part of the gimmick. It's little natural moments that really make it, isn't it? But yeah, I think like in terms of the belts, these are to me still the, the WWF, the WWE belts, um, and none have ever been as good ever since. I remember making like a cardboard version of the European title when I was a kid because um, I really loved that one as well. That yeah. was the, the one that um, had a little bit of red and blue on it. Um, I thought that was lovely. Um, but they all they just look like simple but like ornate championship belts. And I think that's all you really want from a title. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I like. Um, I've got a replica of the the old NWA or WCW big gold belt. So that's always Ooh, been nice. my favourite ever since I was little. My wife got me one for my fortieth a few weeks ago. Yeah. But that's kind of started off a little addiction for me now. I'm literally making lists of what <laughs> I want next, and and the European title is my ne- not next one, but the one after because the next one I want is the old winged eagle, the WWF. Okay. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Um. You, so you prefer the the icy belt here, the sort of oval shape, to the the more blocky one from sort of slightly earlier. I do because it's the one I grew up with. Like if it was Cody Rhodes that brought the blockier one back, wasn't it? 
I yes. think they they gave it to him to bring back. Um, and I, that was new to me at that time. I never looked at what the old IC title looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my head, like these are the belts. These are the belts I grew up with. Yeah, that makes sense. There's um, that that sort of discussion between the two designs. It's something that pops up fairly regular with um podcasters in general on on this network on the visionaries okay. global media network there's one fella who who's a guest on the show a few times um mr matt willis at uh, matt attack uk on twitter good friend of the show real real nice real nice fella top bloke he adores the oval shaped belt as well for the exact same reasons you just described it was his his first ic title belt growing up whereas my partner in crime on my chain wrestling show mags is obsessed with the the blocky belt and the, the two of them when they do shows together just bicker about it all of them <laughs> <laughs> but it, again it's i suppose like you said it's what you grew up with i guess isn't it yeah yeah absolutely yeah definitely i, I love belt talk i'm, I'm pro belt geek <laughs> <laughs> um after this we see the mcmahon helmsley era i suppose they were called or the authority as they went on to be known as in later years backstage with um the stooges old pat patterson and gerald briscoe um are there to help vince basically make sure things go the way he wants them to go in theory yeah and whenever i see them and i can only think of their renders from like no mercy where their faces are so squished onto the like the the blocky shape of the character and it makes me laugh every time they're staring at them so <laughs> attentively as well i'm just like they've got such expressive faces that's the thing um and it, I don't know, it's always good to see them yeah yeah and some of the stories you hear about them backstage and then obviously pat Patterson passed away not long ago which, which is a big shame um very very sad day but uh some of the stories you hear about them backstage especially from say bruce pritchard on on his his, his excellent podcast and so on just such characters it seems on screen and behind the scenes as well i mean briscoe was a genuine tough fella and they've got him out there doing some of the most silly comedy gimmicks going <laughs> uh, and he just he just throws himself into it it's brilliant i love it always makes it work always makes it work yeah definitely um following on from that we have the big boss man and bull buchanan they're facing off against the apa um our old mate b squared dave is yes this is Uh, big trucks hitting each other for five minutes or so isn't it this is great it is very own way smashing each other and and it's completely different to what we have just seen yeah. from from Malenko and um Scotty Too Hotty but equally as entertaining for me i mean it's not uh, Malenko Scotty Too Hotty for me is probably my highlight of the of the night match wise but i enjoyed this as well it just goes to show sometimes you haven't got a pigeonhole what you like with regards to wrestling have you this is one of the themes of the um entire night for me so each match is unique in its own way like not only not in like the wrestlemania way where they were like here's a bunch of gimmick matches and no normal wrestling matches this is like Here's a bunch of mostly wrestling matches, but they're all still different. Um, the last one, technical, light heavyweights. This one, complete contrast to it. Big brawler types smashing into each other. It keeps it interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I suppose on the other side of the coin, if you are more, um, if your tastes are more sort of 
individualistic i guess or or you do only prefer one type of wrestling it gives you an opportunity to go off to the merch stand it gives you an opportunity to go off to the toilet or whatever i suppose um i mean i I wouldn't i like to try and take it all in but i suppose you've got either side of the coin kind of works for the fans potentially um jr here mentions about waiting for austin to arrive again on commentary austin is going to be in the rocks corner tonight when he faces triple h but um, McMahon, in his dastardly ways, has apparently thrown a few spanners in the works for Austin. We'll hear more about that later on. Um, but yeah, it's very stiff-looking brawling here. Um, <laughs> JR mentions Farouk as Ron Simmons in his younger days, which obviously is the case, but that seems a little odd to me that they're actually acknowledging him by his real name and acknowledging him from his, his WCW name. I didn't catch that, but yeah, that does seem a little bit odd. Yeah, I mean, they make a reference to his, his football playing, okay. um, uh, which is, you know, proper JR comments, isn't it? He enjoys yeah. all that sort of stuff. But um, He likes yeah, to that, make people feel legit, and I think yeah. sort of sometimes doing little things like that kind of kind of helps to sell them as legit, particularly if they've got sort of their, un- under their real name a proper athletic background. Yeah, and obviously Ron Simmons and Farouk has, hasn't he? They they yeah. retired his jersey at his university and so on. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, really, uh, really impressive footballing career, and also the uh, ex WCW world champion, which they're not going to mention. Yeah, but I, I could remember again on on Worldwide on Saturday afternoon, Vader was champion, and Vader to me at ten years old or what was it ninety two, so eleven years old. Vader to me was like this unbeatable monster, and then seeing clips of Ron Simmons defeating him with a power slam, I was I was buzzing in my front room as as this twelve year old kid, you know. So Simmons for me at twelve years of age in his illuminous green tights was well. <laughs> honestly, he was over in my house. That's his <laughs> favorite stuff, though, isn't it? If you get someone that finally topples the big monster, that's yeah, that's what you need. Yeah, it didn't last long, no, sadly, but it was a good moment anyway. Um, the crowd, for the first time, I think, are a little quieter for the duration of this match. Um, they were quiet in the previous match, but picked up towards the end, as you mentioned, David. But I think this one, they're not as into it as they were in the previous two contests. Yeah, possibly. And it might just be that sort of they kind of that's the point where you get a bit of a lull in the show generally um they're they're kind of building in towards the next sort of manic chaos sort of matchup this might be literally the job of this match just to just to calm things down a bit yeah i get yeah i get yeah it's like going up and down i suppose throughout the show always you end up with um with fans that are too exhausted come the main event i suppose yeah exactly and we saw the the excellent buchanan top rope leg drop again didn't we i mean this guy yeah so much better than I remember, man. I, I wish they'd done so much more with him. It's a real shame. You can really appreciate him a lot more looking back when you're not preoccupied with the fact that you don't like him because he's a villain and you're buying into it so you don't like the villains. Um, but yeah, I, every time I see him, as we watch through these, I'm always impressed by him. I think he looks great. Um, this time he, he did the leg drop as like a big scissor kick off the top and it still looked awful, like in terms of like awful as in if you're looking at it and that actually happened, it looked like it killed the guy. But like it looked like, visually as a spectacle, it looked great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's the that's the finish there. The boss man and Bull Buchanan pick up the win. Um, bit of a surprise for me. I, I thought the APA were going to go over, but uh, I suppose context and and so on how the match was going it makes sense. Um, we get a few backstage skits then with the Hollies and the Hardies discussing their upcoming 
hardcore title match, saying basically saying then it, it's every man for himself. They're not going to side with anybody. It's all about becoming hardcore champion. Um, and what comes next is I, I can't remember seeing a match with this stipulation before. It's it's a six way. It's Crash Holly versus Taz versus Matt Hardy versus Jeff Hardy versus Hardcore Holly versus Perry Saturn. However, to win the hardcore belt, you have to pin Crash, or if Crash pins anyone, the match is over. It just okay. seems really strange to me that they would have that sort of stipulation in in this kind of a six-way match, because in theory, then everyone's just going to be chasing Crash around, aren't they? Yeah, pretty much, but it does help at the very beginning when they're doing the chaos around the structures and like this is the other thing if you build big creative structures then the wrestlers get really creative with them um so the start of this match sort of ends up back up at the entrance um way where they're all climbing up the hooks um and jumping off and because they have that focus on crash it gives everyone a reason to be crowding around him beating him up Mm, and it gives him a reason to be running up to the top of that uh, giant hook structure to try and get away from people. Yeah. And then Matt Hardy follows him up and then like people are trying to drag him down. So they're all there and then they're down in place to catch Matt Hardy as he jumps off. And that's pretty clever. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose that does make a lot more sense than just everyone standing around waiting to catch their, uh, their opponent i guess like you see sometimes yeah. now but uh so yeah. I, was, I was watching this and i was like they're standing around waiting that's not meant to happen in this era of wrestling um but they were all standing around because they all had a hand on crash punching him yeah exactly like yeah it. yeah i suppose it is yeah i didn't actually think of it that way i thought it was actually you know okay well that's a bit silly because why don't they just have everyone versus everyone but no, when you explain it like that that does make a lot of sense um JR mentions the Hardys being more dangerous than Halle Berry's driving here. <laughs> I had to look this up because I thought that's, that's a very sort of random yet at the same time specific with the individual reference. Yeah. Uh, apparently it, Halle Berry in February 2000, so a month or so before this event, um, had a car crash and left the scene of the accident. Okay. And it was quite a big deal, apparently, in in, in the, the media world, I guess, the celebrity world, because eventually she got convicted of of this, leaving the scene of a crime, oh, um, okay. and ended up with three years probation, 200 years, uh, sorry, 200 years, 200 hours of community <laughs> service. Years of community Imagine service. how many wars and how much litter she can pick up in 200 years. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, sentenced to create bad films for 200 years. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and a big old fine as well yeah, she got, I didn't so. know what that was about either um, so thank you for clearing that up for me that's um, wow I didn't realise Halle Berry was around at that time but um, that's my ignorance for you well yeah I, I, I had to look at because those sort of things were driving me batty like, oh, <laughs> JR speak about Halle Berry there what's that about but now we know <laughs> okay. um, again I, I've not seen this, this stipulation before but it, towards the end it's quite interesting as well because everyone's just it, when they get back in the ring, everyone is just beating on poor Crash, aren't they? Yeah. You know, sort of chasing around, trying to get the victory. Um, eventually, though, it, it works out okay for him because Crash retains, which, again, is is a nice surprise. I thought with, with that stipulation, everyone chasing just him, potentially there's he could drop the title there. But, uh, yeah, and I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of these kind of hardcore multi-person matches but 
this one, I, I don't know if it's because you had the backlash stage, but but I, I enjoyed this more than I have done previous ones, especially the one on the last event we watched. Yeah, I think the well, these matches always tend to be like let's get some flimsy looking metal things and batter each other with them for fifteen yeah. minutes and then go to a finish. Um, but this one was bookended by two really cool things, right? There was the creative like stuff with the hooks and the chasing crash and stuff at the at the beginning, and then Crash gets like put through one of them with a gold buster by Perry Saturn, and that looked horrible um but like really nasty um and then like all of the oh let's pick up things and hit hit each other with them happened sort of in the middle but it still had some creative storytelling in there with like the tag teams and stuff um that kept it kind of interesting and then like the end looked i thought pretty wicked anyway so like it was it was bookended well and then there were bits in between that sort of um broke up the smash 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 of it so uh, yeah i thought it was pretty good yeah i i suppose this is again one that i think maybe did go on a couple of minutes too long you didn't really need yeah. as long as that but yeah. again that seems to be it, it pops up every now and again on these shows for us doesn't it so maybe that was something of the time potentially mm. um with regards to multi-man matches so whether it is something similar to this maybe not the hardcore style but something similar to this or a battle royal and so on um have, have you been in though many of those yourself and how if so, how difficult is it to kind of structure those with so many moving parts? I've not been in a ton of like multi-mans that have to go an awful long time that aren't battle royals because um, they're not as common, I don't think, on um, on the independents. Um, but I've been in a few and generally you're like structure it in the segments like, like you need to remember. Um, so you'll have the bits that you need to know about and then like you need to know that you need to go over here for a while so other things can happen and then you'll come back and and everyone will like congregate for the end or whatever it may be so it it's a different and unique challenge to put in together like a story that has more moving parts than usual and more potential for human error and forgetting things and whatever and what i prefer to do in those situations is just not plan to do all that much and just react to what's going on um but um obviously you you need to have a thread and everyone needs to be on the same page so there is always that that sort of extra difficulty like as you add more people to something it becomes more difficult it's just human nature yeah yeah okay um so going back to the previous match crash actually pins taz to retain doesn't he and yes. taz is somebody that we've spoken about quite a bit on our uh, our shows together hmm. again the rumble was a big moment by WrestleMania time, he's in a sort of hardcore multi-man match. Here he is again in a similar thing, but actually this time taking the pin. You can kind of see when you're watching it month to month, as we have been, that he's not heading in the right direction, I guess. Despite the fact, when you look in the crowd, you could see so many Taz t-shirts and so many Taz signs. Yeah, like he's like he's still over, right? Um, yeah. But I think in terms of like it's fairly clear in terms of how they're booking him that the shines off him from a whoever's in charge perspective. But I think it's a shame. Like a lot of like the first conversation we had was probably um, back at the Rumble show, wasn't it? Where you were saying that like folks were saying that maybe he was dangerous. Like he did maybe one of the suplexes in that match and got sort of blamed for it. I think Kurt Angle came out really recently, didn't he? And and backed him up. And I know it's like 
21 years too late now for <laughs> for all of that and maybe he spoke up for him at the time as well but who knows um but he was uh, like he seemed to suggest that the suplex that people were talking about was the one where angle did the flip onto his front like he did the german suplex and angle did the flip onto his front and angle was mm-hmm. like well i wanted to do that um and he was like he never put him like in a situation where he felt he was unsafe and um, so maybe he got a bit of a bad rap for for no good reason Mm, it was. I think it was um, a height thing as well, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it didn't help. I'm sure Vince had probably had more of a problem with his stature than he did with his wrestling. Yeah, I mean, he he recently as well had an ECW title run at this time. Uh, funnily enough, around this period, because ECW were they, they were kind of getting helped out by the WWF. They, Vince was writing Paul Heyman regular checks to make sure they didn't go under, even okay. though they were supposed to be in competition. Yeah. And you had a weird scenario where Mike Awesome was the ECW champion and he had signed a contract to go work for WCW. Okay. So they had to get the belt off him quick. Um, So they asked if Taz could come in and work this one-off match and take the belt off him. Um, Which, again, sort of defeats the purpose to me because you then got the ECW title on the WWF wrestler. But you effectively ended up with Taz being a surprise... Um, a surprise wrestler, a surprise opponent, sorry, for Mike Awesome. And you had a WCW wrestler facing a WWF wrestler for the ECW title (laughs) in this really weird little scenario. Taz beat into a huge pop at this show, and then Awesome basically ran as quickly as he could because he was not uh, not looked upon favorably because of his actions, um, ditching ECW in the way he had. And then... um, Taz ended up dropping the belt back to somebody in ECW shortly afterwards. But in the meantime, they had him on SmackDown wrestling Triple H, who was the WWF world champion, as the ECW world champion. And had Triple H go over him fairly easy just to to (laughs) send a message, I guess. You know? (laughs) That's the most Vince thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like, I think back in those days, you can almost get away with doing stuff like that because, like, fans were more naive. Like, there were internet shoots i remember reading some internet like wrestling news sites when i was like 13 14 um but like it, they were nowhere near as prevalent as uh, or widespread in terms of getting the word out about stuff as they are these days so if you can imagine being an ecw fan back then you probably just think taz is coming back in like he's just been allowed to like as mm. a sign of respect for him to go back into ecw and be a returning hero for as as long as it needs or whatever and and yeah they probably had an ulterior motive on the other side yeah mike awesome went on to be that 70s guy have you ever seen that gimmick no i haven't um mike awesome was superb in japan and in ecw a huge muscular man but he could do these incredible aerial moves just really really talented and in wcw he ended up being called that 70s guy um <laughs> as a take on that 70s show that was popular at yeah. the time and he used to wear flares to the ring and had flowery shirts and drive a, a volkswagen camper i think it was <laughs> uh, and he was also at one point called the fat chick thriller oh, lovely. And, he, and he would come out with two larger ladies sometimes one on either arm or approach larger ladies in the audience and so on it was just, it wasn't a good look, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and they wonder the why they went out of business. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he, he chose the wrong side, I think. <laughs> yeah, it looks that way. It looks that way. Um, 
next up we had Kurt Angle, and and this is one of the moments where I actually thought to myself, "Have I seen this show?" And ultimately, I, I knew I, I had, but I don't remember this until it was, was back on my television, so to speak. Now, Kurt Angle versus the Big Show. Um, but the Big Show is coming out as the showster and dressed as Hulk Hogan and coming out to Real American. Um, I'm not going to lie, when Angle came out, I, I, I try not to look at the card before pressing play sometimes on these events. Yeah. So when Angle came out and then Real American played, it completely threw me. Because <laughs> I was like, First of all, Hogan wasn't even using Real American at this time. Secondly, he's not even in the company. But for a split second, I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. It always has the ability to make you believe, doesn't it? And I equally didn't look up what was going on on this show. And I heard the music. I was like, I don't remember ever seeing Hogan on, on WWF TV when I was 13, 14. Like, what's going on? And then the show came out and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, he's... um. What what's the story behind this? Like, has he been doing random gimmicks in the lead up? Well, in the last pay per view we watched, he was he was a heel. Yeah, he was siding with Shane McMahon. Yeah. This is a few weeks later, and they're showing clips of him. Uh, and I'm quoting Jerry Lawler here on the commentary. He just wants to have fun. He just wants to have a good time. And he's dancing and he's doing these different um, dress-up roles and so on. I've got no idea what has gone on between WrestleMania and now and and, and Backlash that we were watching. Because you've gone from this big, scary bloke who was in the the world title picture, the main event of WrestleMania, to a guy putting on a a fake skull cap and and cupping his ear and (laughs) and pretending to be Hulk Hogan. But I'll tell you what, I'm all about that. I watched the big show be Hulk Hogan I, I, I enjoyed it <laughs> it was good wasn't it it was really good like he went out of his way as well like he got a, a, a weightlifting belt with Showster on the back of it like yeah he, he went the whole hog with it and like the, the match was exactly what it needed to be I think it wasn't very long um, it started off with all the, the cool like Hulk Hogan moves and stuff Angle got a little bit of a showing in and then got killed and that, that was yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah what was it two and a half minutes roughly wasn't it something like that yeah um, it's uh, all it needed to be yeah yeah definitely and again i suppose it's one of those sort of let me up moments that, that we were referring to earlier with um the boss man tag match it's never a moment where it's not too serious it's not too intense it, 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 yeah it serves a purpose um i got a kick out of seeing the big show doing the whole hulking up routine, the, yeah. boots, the leg drop and so on. Um, we got a brilliant comment from JR here saying there's more people chanting for Hogan than in many, many years, which I <laughs> thought was a little bit of a dig, but you know, I got a kick out of that myself. Yeah. I don't think they do any of this stuff without it being a dig. No, <laughs> particularly at this time. <laughs> um, ultimately big show wins with the choke slam. Um, you saying about him going the extra mile for him that he had the yellow boots on as well. Yeah. Now, Wrestling boots, as far as I'm aware, they aren't cheap. And he you're not gonna have a random pair of the big show's size lying <laughs> around in that yellow, are you? <laughs> no, not at all. Um that's a that's a conversation. I was watching it with a friend and that's a conversation that we had at the time. Like, he's got boots made for this. <laughs> <laughs> for those that two and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah, for a two and a half minute match. And then like I I guess he knows he can sell them afterwards or whatever, but man. Yeah. Well, perhaps he sees that as a future gimmick. Perhaps he's going to re, you know, revisit it in, in future years. Who knows? <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> um, 
Next up, then, we have the Dudley Boys versus Test and Albert. And this is potentially my main event of the evening because I've just got, I've got <laughs> one comment that just says, ah, Trish. <laughs> that's, that's essentially this entire tag match is about Trish. Yes, it is indeed. Um, the Well, first of all, the NWA president, the current NWA president, is shown sitting ringside here with Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. Well, yeah. that was an interesting little, yeah. little twist there. Yeah. Um, Bubba Ray, Bully Ray, sorry, Bubba Ray from the Dudleys, basically has been putting various ladies through tables. So um, this is the time I think he put Mae Young through a table. Lita was another one, wasn't she? I think they showed in the clip. Mm. Um, and he wanted to basically powerbomb Trish through a table from, from high up on the ropes, as he has been other competitors and other ladies. Trish seems to have this mesmerizing power over Bubba, though, <laughs> where when he goes to powerbomb her, if she strokes the top of his bold noggin or gives him a bit of a snog, then he just turns into a gibbering wreck and is mesmerized and stares off into space and she avoids the powerbomb. So, I mean, if that's, if that avoids her going for a table, good luck to her, I say, but, um, it's a bit of an odd makeup for me because they're effectively two heel teams, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. And like, I, I don't know. I think like, Particularly at this time, I think Bubba's character is, is sympathetic enough to get away with it. Like, yeah. um, it, it's a edgy time in in, in world history, um, and like Bubba plays the character that he plays. I can't even. I'm not even sure I can describe the character that Bubba Ray Dudley plays. But whatever it is, he plays it so well that it's believable. It's so believable to me um, when he's just sort of standing and staring off into space with a stupid look on it. And it's like, yeah, this is entertaining. This is fine. Um, and I totally believe that that Trish would randomly like use her womanly ways to, to stop him from hurting her. Um, and that's a perfectly good, in my opinion, a perfectly good reason to have this random tag match. I, I don't need a reason to have a random tag match. <laughs> uh, as you're well aware, David, I'm sure people who listen to both yeah. my shows are. I adore Trish Stratus. She's fantastic. <laughs> on, a, on a note of Trish, actually, she's got the most ridiculous, crazy high platform heels on. We're talking Paul Stanley in Kiss levels of <laughs> platform boots here. And early on, she goes for a full-on run around the ring as as Bubba Ray is chasing her. I'm looking, I'm thinking, how the hell has she not broken her ankle in those uh, boots? That's insane. It's talented, isn't it? It's incredibly talented. Whenever a, a woman runs in high heels, I'm like, how much practice did that take? Uh, <laughs> particularly like, <laughs> ladies on a night out, if you've ever run in high heels, you have my infinite respect because like, I, I've put high heels on and tried to walk in them and not done very well. And that's about my experience so if if you're able to run in a more power to you that's amazing um but i I don't know i like obviously again like at this time like the women all dressed very provocatively and like that's essentially what they were wearing at that time like they were all pretty much wearing similar things um but also like the guys are really tall like in WWF at this time, like the very few under six foot, right? Um, yeah. And most of them are also wearing lifts in their boots. So they're like tall, but with their own like version of heels going on as well. So like you need to at least try and be on the same visual plane as them, I guess. 
Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, or, or so in, in reality, I guess for Test and Albert, perhaps they should be dropping down a little bit to go on the same <laughs> yeah. visual plane as Trish, because I know which way I'd rather look. But there we go. Um, there's there's a really impressive moment here as well where Albert actually presses Test above his head and drops him onto his opponent. I thought that looked incredible for guys that, like you say, of of that size. That was really impressive. Oh, that was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, we have a ref distraction here on the tag, um, which happened in the earlier tag matches as well. It seems to be pop, and even Jim Ross mentions it on commentary, saying that the ref gets distracted when one team makes a tag, so the ref can't call what he can't see. And it's good tag team wrestling. Don't get me wrong. I I I, I get kick out of seeing stuff like that, especially being a big fan of tag wrestling and Arn and Tully doing that a great deal back in the Horseman days. Um, but when it happens in every tag match on the show does it kind of take the edge off it a little bit maybe i think yeah it it's nice when there's only one tag match on a show because you can do all those things and and don't have to worry about whether the other tag match is doing it because otherwise everybody has to communicate to make sure you're not doing the same things bats isn't it um yeah but um it like that's just such a commonly done thing that it it it'll you can you can get away with it because yeah the referee should know and they should know not to be distracted but if you get distracted that's it's the simplest thing you can do to stop the other team making the tag um so i can like put in the context of competitive like kayfabe whatever you want to call it um the fact that they all have the same tactics isn't necessarily a weird thing yeah um, but sense. you think referees might try and be a bit smarter to it <laughs> yeah I like it as well when you get things like Jim Ross. I mean, he still does it now on, on Dynamite each week with, say, six-man tags or, or something like that. He'll shout about, why don't we get extra officials down here to help the person in the <laughs> ring? And Wouldn't that be an idea? Yeah. I mean, he's, linesman. Been, he's been shouting about it since, like, you know, the late 80s. So if it hasn't happened yet, Jim, it's, it's not going to happen now. Yeah. But, I like that because it adds a little bit of realism to, to watching it. Cause I'm watching dynamite with my daughter. When Jim Ross said that it was a few weeks back now, my little girl looked at me and goes, he's right. Why don't they get, just, just get an extra referee. This is silly because of the amount of interference that was going on. So I kind of like that because it adds that realism to that moment. If that makes sense. I mean, having rules, um, just makes telling stories in the ring so much easier. If like the more rules you have and they're more, the more well they're enforced as a general rule, the more impactful it is when you break them, the more of a, like a proper emotional reaction you get from the audience because everyone becomes more invested because it feels more like a sporting endeavor. Like <laughs> this is a, a really stupid um, story, but um, when we were doing the Hitman, um, Goodwin really liked the idea of like having tag ropes because like okay. not a lot of people until like quite recently i think wwe brought them back like properly a little while ago didn't they like probably years ago um started enforcing tag rope rules where like you have to be holding onto the tag rope to make a tag but not many indie indie promotions have tag ropes like you won't see many wrestling rings if you're going around the uk that have tag ropes on them mm. so we had the idea of like we at one point we, we almost got our own tag ropes that what shoelaces whatever right and just took them around with us so we could tie them onto rings whenever we were doing tag matches um and then start using them and making sure they were enforced um but we, ne- we never got around to doing it i thought it would have been quite fun yeah that'd be excellent i, I like that sort of thing That's, i mean to me tag ropes they, they should exist mm. um when the revival or ftr whichever name they're going under now arrived on dynamite and started insisting that tag ropes were used in their matches um 
again, my little girl looked at me and looked at me cross-eyed like what what what's she on about what they on about tag ropes what's that and i had to explain to her what that was because not many people do use them they're so de-emphasized um but it's it's just like the more tools that you have right to to make rules that can then be broken for effect Mm -hmm. the better because it means like you have more and more opportunities to to do things that will get reactions yeah yeah totally and that helps that helps the the good guy, the baby face out, doesn't it? If you've got a heel who can break the rules instantly, he's going to be looked upon more favorably because of that. It's yeah, just definitely. common sense. Hmm. I saw a show. This is a long time ago. This is before I went to my first evolution show. So it's quite a few years ago, but I saw a show in Gloucester. Some, I can't even tell you where it was. It was that long ago. And they had tag ropes but when I got closer, it turned out they were just those kind of um, almost nylon style, half inch wide uh, dog leads. <laughs> you know, the, so so you got like the actual the loop of the handle for yeah. holding your dog, and then the clip at the end was for attaching to your dog's collar. Oh. And they just feathered it through the top turnbuckle and just had this dog lead hanging down in either corner. Yeah. <laughs> I don't that's know, resourcefulness that's... i'm all right with that that's fine they've made yeah. it <laughs> um, that, that tickled me when i saw it i can't i wish i could remember what that co- who that company was or where that was i might not even been in gloucester it was many many years ago i'll have to see if i can find out yeah. um but yeah ultimately trish distracts um bubba ray on a 3d attempt test hits the big boots to get the win here for his team um, Trish eventually gets put through the table to a huge reaction from the fans. That's what they wanted to see, isn't it? That's what this whole thing was about. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I think the whole thing was about just so the announcers could say that Bubba got wood. <laughs> yeah. This entire match was just about Bubba getting wood and putting a funny face afterwards. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Trish got ragged around by her hair, didn't she? My goodness, they were <laughs> yeah. left with her. She Why? is a troop. Yeah, yeah. Um, she then gets put on a stretcher and she, she does a real you know good job here selling everything that's going on she, she's proper they're proper invested in this you know trish's hurt angle that they're, they're putting on a stretcher taking out the test and albert have come back by this stage and they're um that they're trying to put forth their own uh concerns and so on to trish's condition and and test bless him never the most charismatic or, or the best with his words is screaming, come on, guys, get her some help, as she's literally being put in the ambulance. <laughs> they can't do much more, you know? <laughs> yeah. Bless uh, him, he tried. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the stress of it. it gets yeah, that's it. Um, we next get Eddie Guerrero arriving with China in quite a cool, old-fashioned vintage car. Um. Eddie is told we see them arrive backstage as, as we're looking at Trish getting loaded into the ambulance. Eddie is told if he doesn't get to the ring straight away, he may have to vacate or forfeit the title because they're running late or, or words to that effect. Eddie's arrived with China from the prom. So they're dressed in evening gown and Guerrero is in a full suit. Yeah. So, and I really enjoyed this. They drive out to the ring and as Guerrero's music is still playing, he's kind of rushing a little bit to get his shirt off, get the title belt out of the boot, which is just brilliant, and ends yeah. up still wrestling the match with his bow tie on. I just thought, little yeah. that, was, that was superb, Matt. That's so good. And he just looks like an escort because of it as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At any point, he's just going to start stripping. Yeah. Um, 
trying to find work on it with a uh, Buff Bagwell on that website he went to. <laughs> <laughs> um, the match itself is for the, as David mentioned before, and very, very beautiful European Championship. And we have Eddie with China. And this is our first look, actually, well, for me, especially the first look in many, many years at S.A. Rios, who was predominantly a wrestler on Sunday Night Heat for many years. Didn't make many SmackDown or War appearances to my memory. Um, but this is the first time I've seen him in years and years and years. Uh, uh, yeah, and the whole the whole storyline is based around the European Championship, but China arguing with Lita, um, the four of them falling out when they've worked in tag matches together and so on. I enjoyed this match as well. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed this one. It got a bit scrappy at places um, here and there, but like going back to the the variety comments we were making earlier, like this match was pretty heavily like Mexican influenced, so it had a really different feel. Um, and like the two worked well together, I thought across the across the match to sort of make everything work. Um, there was the quite like, I don't think it quite went like to plan, but there was the spot sort of towards the end where Eddie's going to go for like the power bomb or something on the outside, and Lita ends up flying and hitting the announce table and distracting him for long enough, gets back dropped, and then they sort of go in and and sort of get towards the the end of the match. Um, doesn't Eddie have a good brain buster? That was what I was going. Yeah. Say. Isn't it lovely? Face yeah, that. it's like sometimes when I see certain brain busters, it looks like it almost looks like just a vertical suplex that's just a bit of a different angle. Yeah, but the brain buster obviously is they're supposed to be coming down on their head, neck, etc., mm. aren't they? And the way Eddie does it, there's like a real, I suppose, snap to the drop as he comes yeah. down, and it makes it very obvious watching what he's doing. Whereas occasionally with other people, I look at it and go. It was a half and half sort of thing, maybe, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Like, Eddie's got always, like, that sort of crispy snap downwards, and it's amazing. Yeah, really good. I, I enjoyed this. I mean, it's quite sad at one stage because the crowd aren't, again, they're not massively into it at one stage of the match. And you even hear a sort of a little ripple of a boring chant, which I thought was quite disrespectful because these guys, I thought, were putting on a good match um the crowd got more into it when the ladies were involved uh, as you've just described um rios hits a crazy moonsault and a really an amazing um running rolled flip effort over the corner to the outside i'm not 100 percent sure the name of that but that is that visually that's incredible isn't it yeah and i think like the the way the crowd reacted to it kind of went with the quality of what was going on in the ring like it started off kind of scrappy a bit messy they're kind of like oh what are we watching but then as they got into like the crisper and the better stuff towards the end they really sort of brought them back and brought them with it yeah definitely definitely they were more into it towards the end um ultimately eddie retains his championship here um with with this uh, crazy airplane spin into a net breaker effort. Um, China then randomly gets stripped by Lita afterwards. Out of spite. Yeah. That, but that was like, I didn't hate this. I thought I was going to hate it as soon as it started happening. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. We're embarrassing a woman by just like taking her clothes off. That's very year 2000 of us. Yeah. But China's like, in like gets to play the empowered woman. Right. And like, she doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Like she's she's like she starts looking annoyed, but then she's like, "Oh, hang on, no, I I'm all right with my body. I look okay. Hi, everybody, yeah. how you doing? Um, yeah, fair enough. Like for the year two thousand, for what WWE were doing at this time, I thought this is one of the nicer woman gets stripped unnecessarily moments. Mm. Yeah, no, I can see that. That's a real good way of looking at it. Um, I suppose another way of looking at it is. <laughs> 
if that dress is a rental, then she's in trouble. Oh yeah, of course. And and <laughs> secondly, be annoyed. Yeah, secondly, if it's not a rental and she's bought that, she should be cross because the stitching where it must have been dreadful for it just to fall apart like that. <laughs> you know. But there we go. Um, after this, we see an interview with Triple H and Steph sat backstage there, as they were a great deal in this era, sat together, both holding title belts on a sofa. Um, I don't really know much of what was said here by Steph and Triple H, because all I can think of is about how close her bloody foot was to that salad. <laughs> and I'm just looking at it, and I'm like, get, get your shoe away from the food. And it, it just distracted me completely. <laughs> It drove me mad, you know? Oh, I, d- I don't remember any of what went on in that. Um, I wasn't distracted by the salad. Uh, <laughs> it's just, I, I, it just, just words. I mean, trust me, words. anyone who, who has met me or seen me and is, is familiar with my, shall we say, dart player's figure, know that I'm not distracted by a salad often. <laughs> it's, it's, that's, never, that's not normally the case. But um, uh, Vince McMahon is also there and he hints at Steve Austin may not be able to make it to Backlash because of, again, transport issues. So it sounds like maybe Vince has tried to stitch Austin up here, right. um, hinting towards that potentially, because again, JR during commentary is constantly asking, where is Austin? And saying Austin's never late. He's normally at the building by now. Um, but here we are, two matches away from, well, one match away from our main event. And Austin still is not there. So a bit of a concern for mm. uh, The Rock, I guess. Um, we go and then see Chris Benoit backstage. Uh, Benoit cuts a promo. Um, and, and this is a typical Benoit promo. It's fairly, fairly wooden, fairly... It's not his strength. I mean, the guy was an incredibly talented wrestler, but promos, as it is with some people, just, just not his strength. It can be that way sometimes, David, can't it? It can. I like. I, I used to quite like Chris Benoit's promos because they were always quite intense. Um, and yeah, I, 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 again, I can't remember this one, um, which which means it probably wasn't that good. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> anything about it. Um, but Benoit in general, I think he became a good, like even if he wasn't at this stage. And again, this one has completely passed me by. Um, but um, he definitely became a good promo. Like. Uh, at some point along the line, because I was legit scared by him at times, I think, as I was watching this back when I was a kid. Yeah, I get yeah. I mean, the only line that really stood out to me that I made note of here is um, Benoit states he's going to express all his emotions all over Jericho, <laughs> which just, I don't really know what that means and just sounds a little bit weird to me, to be fair. It's <laughs> uh, it probably written for him, wasn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um, following that, we have the the Intercontinental Championship match with um, Benoit defending his title against Chris Jericho. Um, how great does Jericho look in this era, in the oh. 2000s? Just, just everything about it. I mean, the guy is obviously incredibly talented. Of course he is. But he just looks fantastic as well, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And like this match, again, like it's the Benoit-Jericho match right and i'm not saying they only have one because they did like many 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 of these matches across time but there's always this same sort of japanese influence style where everything like hits hard everything's like crisp and clean and it's a joy to watch but um again it stands out because it's different on this card like we've just had like the mexican match Mm-hmm. And now we've got like a, a Japanese influence match and like every match on this card has had like its own unique feel to it. It's great. 
yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, this is probably just a smidge below the Malenko Scotty Sue Hottie match for me for match of the night. Okay. I enjoyed the Malenko one a touch more. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like this. I mean, Benoit takes quite a bad crash, doesn't he, on, on a dive to the outside. Oh, you just reminded me of it. <laughs> yeah, it didn't look Yeah. Good. No, that looks. Uh, is that just a thing that he did during this time? Like, it, it's not a good idea. He just dives between the second and top rope and lands on his face. Mm. Yeah, yeah, not great. Um, there's a cool spot as well where uh, they're outside by the steps, and Jericho jumps over the steps, and then Benoit drop kicks the steps into Jericho. Uh, really I, I don't remember seeing that a great deal, and that really sort of stood out to me because it is quite unique. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that was quite inventive, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I that's one of the big moments in that match that really kind of stood out to me as well. It's like, oh, geez, all right. Um, yeah. But yeah, everything looks solid in this match. Like whatever they're doing, it looks like super solid. They're like doing, obviously, they're doing the chops on each other. They're doing like the strikes. They're doing like a little bit of like it feels like strong style type stuff, um, and it really stands out like compared to the some of the more intricate stuff the previous match were trying it's really good sort of placement i think of two matches on the card yeah definitely um jim ross and joe laura talk about the upcoming uk tour and pay-per-view during this match they're leaving in a few days to to come over to the uk um and our next show david will be covering the uk pay-per-view they held that year which as i mentioned last time we spoke is is a show i know i've never seen before so i'm really interested yeah i can guarantee i've never seen that one before so i'm really interested in having a look at that one with you next time we speak um Jericho misses a top rope drop kick here. That sort of looks where he's missed it, or Benoit sort of swatted him away. It doesn't quite look clear from the angle we get. Um, he's also he does a double power bomb spot to Jericho. Sorry, uh, which which looked great, which was then countered into the cross face, which I thought was really really good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was lovely. Like the little intricate bits and pieces that that happen between these two are great. Yeah. Definitely. And then we get a ref bump, and all I've got written down on my notes here is ref bump. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> I think that's kind of what took yeah. away from this being my match of the night. This kind of is what made it sort of drop slightly below the Malenko-Scotty match. I was going to ask that. Is like, Was it the fact that it wasn't a, a, a proper finish at the end of it that, that kind of knocked it down for you? Because I, I thought this match was marginally better um, because they held the crowd for longer yeah. in it um but yeah the the end wasn't great um and it really wasn't obvious to me what happened at the end on the first bite showing of it like it wasn't until the replay i was like oh okay yeah but, yeah it looked like he'd it almost looked like jericho hadn't actually grabbed the belt at all from one angle and then when they'd show it from yeah. a second angle he's like got his arms fully extended it was so strange yeah so like the the finish is like jericho's on the floor the belt's like around him somewhere he grabs it and ben was doing a diving headbutt and headbutts the belt instead of jericho um and then the ref goes well that's a disqualification and ends the match and nobody seemed to like that finish no no i mean i'm assuming they go to further matches down the line um perhaps in the uk i don't know i've not looked ahead yet but i would assume so with with a disqualification finish on a pay-per-view that they would go to another one wouldn't they yeah i hope so yeah um 
and that takes us to our main event for the evening. It's for the WWF Championship, um, The Rock facing the champion Triple H. Triple H has Mr. McMahon and Stephanie McMahon in his corner. The Rock is supposed to have uh, Stone Cold in his corner. But obviously we are being told constantly that Austin, who has been missing for several months due to injury, um, we're, we're told he's struggling to get to the arena for various reasons. Um, the build-up little video here, I enjoyed showing them blowing up the bus that belonged to Mr. McMahon or Triple H and so on. I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, so this um, fills me in essentially on what's been going on because uh, WrestleMania, Stone Cold's not in sight and mm -hmm. now this pay-per-view is suddenly all about him and I'm like, well, what's going on? And thankfully, they told us what was going on in this, so that was really useful. Um, but also, this is again, this is like if the the one at the beginning wasn't so good, I think this was a pretty hype video. This was decent. Yeah, definitely. This is the one that they sort of saved themselves on that front, I think, with this one here. Um, just to stack the odds against the People's Champ a little further, Shane McMahon is your guest referee. Um, Triple H looks incredible here. He, he, this is, to me, peak yeah. Triple H 2000 before he did the first serious injury he had. Mm. But he also looks almost as orange tanned as prime Hulk Hogan as well, doesn't he? It's like <laughs> it's a special shade for wrestlers, I think, you know? It is quite the tan he's got on. Um, and I, I just want to see this in person. One day, like I, you, you go around the Indies and you see tanned wrestlers that are like a bit more tanned than your average person, like who's done a spray tan. But I, I suspect these guys are particularly glow in the dark orange when you see them, <laughs> because like, and obviously it's the bright lights and stuff, and they kind of have to be. And like, I don't know, maybe spray tanning wasn't quite as advanced back in those days, but like, they, some of these guys do really glow, don't they? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, Vince McMahon takes the microphone early on and explains to everyone in the audience who are chanting for Austin that there's a little note in their in their event program that states card subject to change, uh, citing that as a reason for Stone Cold not being there, <laughs> which I thought was a lovely little touch. I thought that was yeah. great. Yeah, that was nice. Um, we get huge chants of Rocky, 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 and then the familiar music hits, and we get a massive pop for the Rock again, similar to when he arrived at the arena earlier. It's just amazing how over this guy was when you look back, the reactions of the crowd. I suppose, in a way, it, it looks even more incredible now because of the, the modern product where we haven't got fans at the moment due to the ongoing uh, COVID issues. Maybe that makes an influence for me watching back. I'm not sure, but The Rock's crowd reactions are just superb, aren't they? Mm, yeah, and there's things from the times that you just will never get anymore, like um, flash bulbs from cameras and yeah. stuff going off. Like every time the rock would come out back then, the entire place would like light up in those little pings of light. Like all over, and like, well, people's phones have flashes, but they're nowhere near as powerful as those flash bulbs used to be on the on the cameras people would take around. Um, and you just don't get the same effect from it. Um, and it's it's things like that and like obviously the the holding the lighters in the air and stuff that, that don't happen anymore that you really miss when you look and when you watch these things and you're like, oh yeah, look at that. Yeah, definitely. The lighters in the air is a big one for me. I, spend, I used to go to a great deal of concerts and have done for 
decades really i've been going to many rock and metal concerts for as long as i can remember it's, it's like how i how i like to spend my money really and um well not that i've got any at the moment but you know what i mean <laughs> it's uh, um the lighters thing is something that i think really affects that aspect as well and it's a very 80s kind of thing when it comes to live music but the lighters in the air moments where the the rock band or the heavy metal artist i'm watching plays a slightly slower number yeah, you know, and, and that's the reason that most people's girlfriends have come along for that one. If that, if you know, what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, gonna wave some fire in the air to make it manly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a shame. Um, yeah. but like, some... sorry, go on. Yeah, I was gonna say these days, like Bray Wyatt made um, really took advantage of the fact that it looks different when you have like a phone because it does look different. Like people put their flashes on their phone and like wave them around these days, and it's not the same. Sorry, guys, it's yeah. not the same. Um, but like it looks different and like that's how the whole like fireflies thing really like works for me because like if people were doing that with lighters it wouldn't look the same um but yeah i, I don't know i just miss like like because even like in the games like the the crowd would have little like flashbulbs we we're talking about like no mercy and stuff earlier they'd have like flashbulbs going off on the entrances and stuff um and i'm so glad like i've not been watching much wwe but i'm so glad they've decided to drop the no pyro rule recently because like that was hugely missed in the last sort of era that i was actually watching yeah. wwe for any extended period of time they just have this sort of bland product with a bunch of video boards and no excitement <laughs> because they didn't have any of the big flashy stuff. And you go back and watch this and you've got the big flashy stuff and it really adds to making the rock look like a superstar. Um, and yeah, like what more can I say? Like he does, he comes out, he looks incredible. Like he's in really good shape at this point. This is prime rock for me. Um, like I know I've just started watching at this stage, but this is like, prime the rock um coming out looking like an absolute star doing his thing um and getting into this really 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 good match yeah definitely um we got a huge chance for we want stone cold as well <laughs> for showing how how yeah. austin was to me I remember looking back i always felt austin was just a smidge more popular than the rock yeah I'd, I'd go with that like and and bearing in mind that i'm watching this through the lens of someone who came in when austin wasn't even around until this mm. point um but you're like the last three shows i've not really had any sign of austin um but then they dedicated this entire show to him effectively like the beginning is about like the, there's this thread throughout the entire thing of like oh where's stone cold is stone cold coming is stone cold going to be here to the point where I'm like, okay, this match isn't about these guys that are having this match, which is a shame. Yeah. It's about the guy who's going to come in at the end of it. But they still put together a really cool match, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Vince interferes quite early on, doesn't he? Ends up sending The Rock into a ring post, which again just adds to... I suppose I'm going to be a little bit contradictory here to a degree because I didn't like the sort of... <sighs> messy dq finish of the jericho benoit match yeah i've recently covered rvd versus jerry lynn from hardcore heaven 2000 on, oh, wow. on chain wrestling with max that's what the the people on twitter that the listeners voted for out of the options we had so that's the match we went back and looked at that comes out the day before this show so look out for that um that the ending of that match i was not very happy with I, I marked it down because there was so much interference right 
here to me it's it's the exact opposite it's done well here the the mm. the, the interference and the whole the whole storyline i guess the interference adds to that and it makes it it makes it make sense i suppose yeah i think well the whole thing of this match is the odds are stacked against the rock like so stacked against the rock that it's unbelievable that he could ever surmount them and and win um particularly when stone cold isn't there so you have this like the rock gets flurries and it's a little bit back and forth but he gets shut down a lot he gets shut down again he gets shut down by vince he gets like on top he gets shut down by shane not counting a pin he gets back on top and like this is constant like flow of the rock like almost overcoming and then getting shut down yeah and definitely things start to sort of break down for the mcmahon helmsley side towards the end yeah yeah i mean there's there's one moment actually what whilst triple h i suppose is controlling the match there's a long chin lock isn't there um and i i can i understand why these moves are in place i understand the purpose of them with regards to a storytelling standpoint and and, and obviously occasionally a, 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 i suppose to coin a phrase that I've heard other people use, a rest hold standpoint, I guess. Um, but sometimes when they're on for too long, it, it becomes quite boring. This wasn't because it was done so well with Triple H yeah. using the ropes. And uh, and I, even that, even a very long chin lock, which normally by the time it was broken, I'd be thinking, oh, for crying out loud. Hmm. I... I was mesmerized by the whole thing because of what was going on with Triple H using the ropes. It was just done so well. Yeah, I was going to say it's the little things, but there's a big thing that's going on during the chin lock, which is Triple H gets his feet on the ropes and Shane doesn't care. Mm. He's meant to be the referee, right? And it's that thing of the rules, rules that are normally enforced, being broken in front of your face brazenly that makes you actually feel like kind of angry. If you're in any way invested in this match, you'll feel a little bit angry by it. And yeah. then you can build upon that emotional response and get more and more and more and more of that emotional energy and, and reaction. And I thought they did this really well. Uh, another moment of that is when Vince hits the rock with the title and Shane <sighs> drops down and gives a really quick three count yeah. that almost looks like it takes the rock by surprise and he's got to throw his shoulder <laughs> pretty quick. You know, it's yeah. like they almost missed it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he was really going for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Rock hits a DDT and Shane point blank refuses to count and the crowd are livid. Yeah. They are. They want Shane McMahon's blood at this stage. <laughs> they are red hot. And again, fantastic storytelling. Really well done, though. It, it's been built up. Um, the, the, there's a table then gets involved. Um, Shane blocks a rock bottom through the table. And the Rock ends up putting both Triple H and Shane McMahon through a table with the Rock Bottom, which is quite unique as well, isn't it? Yeah, that was pretty impressive. Like it looked really nice for what it was. Like if you can imagine the logistics of getting two guys in position to do that and and doing it, well, I thought they did a great job of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, we end up with the Rock eventually managing to get back in the ring. McMahon then starts fighting with him there. Um, Triple H hits the rock with a low blow and a pedigree, but there is no referee at this stage. So Vince is then signaling to the back, yelling, come on, come on, and come on. Um, as Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross are saying, who's he signaling to? And here come Briscoe and Patterson in referees tops. At, 
jogging down to the ring, you know, <laughs> at, at, at top speed. Um, um, McMahon levels the rock with a chair. Uh, it's, it's just, again, like you said, more and more and more up against it for the rock, isn't it? More yeah. and more sort of obstacles for him to clear. There's a massive reaction from the crowd when he kicks out at two with, from a Pat Patterson um, counting him down because it's almost like you weren't expecting it to happen because there was so much going against him. Yeah, and you felt like this was like, oh, okay, it's the end of WrestleMania again. Like The Rock's just going to get properly beaten into the earth. All right, die, smush, smush, smush. Yeah. Count to three, done. And then like there's that like release when he kicks out and then like they go towards the actual finish of the match. Yeah, because not long after that, the, the glass breaks, doesn't it? Yeah. And the place comes unglued as Steve Austin st- stomps his way to the ring, carrying a chair. Um, and again, we talk about looking like a star. To me, uh, it's slightly different with Austin because Austin to me was a big star because of what I'd seen of him already. Okay. So when I see him, I recognize him as a star. The Rock, I just look at it and think star power. But similar reaction to me personally with with that but for different reasons if that makes sense yeah yeah it does i think like the rock's like the guy that's a superstar because he looks hollywood he looks like a superstar um and austin was always like the more relatable guy like he's the guy who like people want to be but in in a way that they feel like would be attainable if they just let go you know what i mean yeah definitely Definitely. Um, yeah, the, the reaction for Austin when that glass shatters around, well, around any time from sort of, I suppose, late 97 onwards is just is just superb. Austin just smashes through everybody with a chair then. Just just yeah. like, I think he damn near kills Gerald Briscoe um, with his chair shot Briscoe takes. He just annihilates everybody. Um, and then he decides, well, my work here is done. I'm off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just rocks off. Yeah. Goes and has a beer or whatever. Yeah, um, he is greeted, however, on the uh, the aisle way by Linda McMahon with <laughs> Earl Hebner. Ah, uh, yes, Linda and Earl. Yeah, looking sauntering very... down as slowly as they can. Yeah, a little nod from Linda to Steve Austin to say, <laughs> "Well done, lad. Proud of you." You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, the rock... and then Linda meets Steph at the end of the ramp. Oh yeah! Eventually, eventually. Yeah, you um, and like Steph waiting, on her, you? <laughs> and Steph falls over. Yeah. <laughs> um, she proper like proper sold that for a mum, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, and her mum didn't really give her anything to sell. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then like that—that that is it. Like, um, I'll jump in. The Rock hits the people's elbow, probably after like a spinebuster or something, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the finish. But the crowd comes unglued for it. Yep. Absolutely. Um, a little con- bit of context with Earl Hebner at this point, because he had not counted a pin that Vince McMahon wanted, or there, there was some, there was something Earl Hebner had done that was going against Triple H um, in the build-up to this match that resulted in him effectively being fired. So oh. it, it was Linda... Um, bringing him back and that's why you got i think jerry lawler on commentary going he's got his ref shirt because she's basically <laughs> reinstated him yeah um which makes me laugh when they're there saying but wait that's all hebner he's in his ref shirt so what if else is he going to be doing yeah. <laughs> what, 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 if he walked down like you know in 
the leftover cuts of like i don't know china's dress or something it's like <laughs> what else are you going to be wearing is <laughs> al hebner's here to do some cabaret everybody <laughs> yeah <laughs> now, if you want to take a seat and get your lighters out <laughs> yeah. well, the match is finished like just disqualify everybody let's let's see what else got to offer yeah nice bit of a hebner or something <laughs> <laughs> um Austin and The Rock then share a beer. I mean, Austin, The Rock gets his moment, doesn't he? His music plays and he celebrates. Yeah. And the glass breaks again and Austin comes out again to another huge reaction. This time driving his Jeep and dragging the knackered bus behind him. <laughs> and again, I don't quite understand. It's a cool visual, don't get me wrong, but I don't quite understand why he did that. Where was he keeping the bus? Yeah. But, like, I assume, I'm assume he broke the bus quite some time ago. Like, even if it's just a few weeks, like... He, he's broken the bus and then decided to take it with him, store it somewhere, and then bring it back to the the pay per view. And everyone just went, "Yeah, you can drive that into the stage." Yeah, I mean, you think about it. <laughs> At this time, SmackDown was not live. Okay, so Monday Night Raw was a Monday. SmackDown, I believe, was recorded on a Tuesday night to be broadcast either Thursday or Friday, depending on what network they were on at the time. So, yeah, he's got that bus tied to the back of his Jeep for a minimum of five days. <laughs> Perhaps that's why Vince was saying there's transport issues, because Austin's calling <laughs> this knackered-ass bus around the United States with him. You know? yeah. He's actually been on the phone to him trying to get in there, and it's like this bus is just causing sparks as he drives down the highway. Yeah, he's getting pulled over and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's, that's the end of the pay-per-view. Austin and The Rock share a beer, and... All seems to be well with the wrestling world as we go off the air from Backlash 2000. And that felt like it should have been the WrestleMania ending, really, didn't it? Yes, 100%. That's that's literally the note I've got in front of me here, David, to say that that's kind of what you want from WrestleMania, isn't it? You want the... And again, up until we discussed it on our previous show, up until this point, that is what you got at WrestleMania. You got yeah. the good guy walking away with the belt. This was the first WrestleMania where the heel left with the, with the championship. So very odd booking of WrestleMania, but almost retrieved here. I think uh, the main event was excellent. There's such great moments on the undercard. Ah, oh, Trish. And um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed this show. I'm excited now to see where we go next. Um, we normally give these things a a rating, a, an old school, well, old school, school rating, I suppose, because everything's numbers for the schools now, isn't it? So what sort of grade would you give this one? Uh, it was It was really, really good. I think probably, I don't know if it was tippity top, but it was really, I'm going to go A minus. Yeah. Yeah. In my head, I had a B plus. Huh. So not far off. Practically far the off. same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. And even... Even the matches that maybe I had negative points about whilst we were having the conversation today, I'm very much you know picking out certain points here and there. I enjoyed the whole show. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. A, a return to form from uh, the WWF in 2000. I feel much needed as well. I probably would have stopped watching if this was not if this was as bad as WrestleMania was. I probably wouldn't have ever watched wrestling ever again. <laughs> ah there we go um okay so coming up for us next is insurrection which is the uk pay-per-view did that only air in the uk i'm not sure Hmm. let me just have a little quick look it was at earl's court in london um 
was actually only uh, well the, the the insurrection paper was may the 6th and backlash was april the 30th so it was just a week difference um a week or so's difference there so that's a show that i've not seen before um looking forward to covering that one with you david and um, before we get to that though do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you on the interweb and all your social medias yeah go on then so i'm on twitter it's at heritage city hm and saying that out loud i realize i haven't looked at it in quite some time so if you've messaged me at any point i'm really sorry that i haven't got back to you um and on facebook i'm david eaton it's just a normal profile just add me as a friend and i will judge you and then either accept or not I'll probably <laughs> so make sure your profile picture is really good i yeah. would recommend a snapshot of 2000 tristratus for that is my <laughs> <friends>. um, <laughs> I am at SJP Words on Twitter. Uh, you can follow the show at SJP Wrestling Pod. And while you're there, chuck the second show of mine I do, Chain Wrestling, a follow as well at Chain underscore Wrestling. Um, you're very much in control of that show. Mags and I put forward a suggestion for our next topic each week linked with that week's topic you vote on the twitter poll and decide where we're going next so it's very much every show links to the previous and the next but it's decided upon where we're going by the listeners so i hope you enjoy listening to that too um david once again i want to say thank you very very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on and talk 21 year old wrestling with me i really appreciate it i love it thank you for having me no always mate always and i look forward to uh insurrection 2000 the next time we speak take care okay cheers bye-bye